If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here and joining me, he covers the Houston Texans at RiversMcCown.com. No, that is not dedicated to backup and journeyman quarterbacks, though maybe it kind of is with the Houston Texans' uh, history of quarterbacks. What's up, Rivers? Just over here uh, pondering about the career of Dave Ragone and what could have been. <laughs> oh man, tell me that you didn't try him every once in a while on Madden. Was he left-handed? He was, yeah, yeah. No, I I, uh, I did not try him on Madden. I, I I was a full David Carr believer. He's turning this thing around, okay? And this yeah. it, this is the year. Finally got Gary Kubiak in here. He's gonna make it all better. And oh well. You know what? Can we actually, since you brought it up. Uh, Vikings fans are really into tank for Trevor at the moment. And I feel like there are a few franchises who might sort of side eye and, and say, you know, that number one overall pick doesn't always work out. <laughs> what, what was it about David Carr that didn't work out? Was it the, just the team around him or what? I mean, there it's interesting. Um, it's actually really hard to find, you know, videos of, of, of those games, the 2002 Texans. Even the 2003 Texans is pretty hard. Uh, the first game, obviously, is out there. You watch the first game. He looks terrible. And, and, you know, it would be interesting. One of the things I'd love to do one day, just find all those videos, is uh, go back, look at all the throws, be like, was this really the guy that we were supposed to believe in? Or was this just, you know, false hope the entire way? Oh, and right. people seem to build up around the sacks that, well, you know, he got he got hit a lot. And, you know, he, he took things a little bit too weakly in the pocket. But – 
did he, or was he just always that way and we didn't think about it? I have asked uh, my friend Sage Rosenfels about this, and I think his answer was more along the lines of sacks and pressure are a quarterback stat maybe even more than they are an offensive line stat, and I think that fans in Minnesota might agree that the Vikings had just as bad of an offensive line in 2016 as they have right now. And yet Kirk Cousins is more impacted by it than Sam Bradford was because Sam Bradford got rid of the ball quickly. And I mean, how about, you know, even Phillip Rivers getting rid of the ball as quickly as he is in Indianapolis now because he's old and not that he could ever really move to begin with, but he definitely can't now. So I I tend to buy into that, that if you are getting sacked all the time and this goes in some ways for Deshaun Watson, uh, that that's a thing you're going to continue to do even if you beef up the offensive line. Yeah, I think Watson, with Watson, it's a little bit of more of an interesting calculus because that's kind of how he wins. That's kind of one of his best traits is utilizing and leveraging all his athleticism and kind of, you know, playmaking ability to deal with that sort of thing. So obviously he's going to hold the ball a long time. But the way the offense sets up always tries to play into that, too. And, mm-hmm. like, hot routes are uh, – but we're not entirely sure he grasps. So <laughs> I think maybe more more, more hurt by uh, that offense than, than people would imagine. Okay, I want to talk to you about – because that is an interesting discussion of just, like, different quarterbacks and the pressure that they create and things like that. And I think that Vikings fans have finally got it down that – the front office not building around the interior of an offensive line when their quarterback stands in one spot in the middle and interior pressure gets in his face. It's like we we really do have the exact polar opposite quarterbacks here in Deshaun Watson and, and Kirk Cousins, and that's an interesting discussion. But from the big picture of these two franchises, neither one is in a very great position at this moment with the Texans 0-3, the Vikings 0-3. And let me just ask you broadly, and then we can work our way from there, uh, would you switch entire rosters with the Minnesota Vikings right now? No, because Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Watson is the best player in the roster. Uh, obviously, I think by any by any kind of objective ranking, probably a top 10 quarterback. Um, I think some would venture top five. I'd be in that category. Um, I think the Vikings have a decent a roster, you know, top to bottom compared to the Texans. But uh, anytime I get to start with, you know, Deshaun Watson, Laramie Tunsil, and J.J. Watt. I think that's that's the pick for me. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, and, and this is why the tank for Trevor thing keeps coming up, is that if you were to ask a lot of teams with young quarterbacks and people who cover them, you know, would you switch rosters, a lot of people I think would say no because of Kirk Cousins and his contract. And it's not that Cousins can't be good at times. He was very good against the Tennessee Titans just the other day. He was very good last season and got them a playoff win. But if you can't have a, a guy who can overcome things uh, or who is a special, like you said, top 10 or at least top, I mean, even top five quarterback in the case of Deshaun Watson, then everything else sort of doesn't matter in the same way. It still matters if you have a good three technique or a good, you know, deep cover safety or something, but those things just don't matter as much. And I, I wonder what you think about the short term of the Texans and whether Watson is in a situation where he can turn this entire thing around like happened just a couple of years ago, or if there's a little too much up against him right now. So I think it's very negative. Um, we, we're all, I think, you know, this is year seven of dealing with Bill O'Brien. We're all kind of inured to this now. We're all tired of the excuses. 
we can see kind of the writing on the wall that the head coach will never elevate this team into being a championship contender. Mm-hmm. Now, like as far as actually competing for the playoffs, sure. Yeah, I mean, they got a great chance to get back in. No offense to the Vikings, but not the Steelers, not the Chiefs, not the Ravens. Uh, those are three games that, you know, it's all pretty excusable to lose those games. Um, I think given the seven seven playoff teams now and the fact that Deshaun Watson's in roster, I still have, you know, fairly high hopes of playoff, of playoff appearance this year. Well, what has to happen? I mean, this team has just bled uh, points on the defensive side, which we know quite about here for the Vikings. And actually, I've been looking forward to this one because I think it could be super fun. I think the Vikings found some things out last week, especially what they could do with Justin Jefferson. And I also think that there is very little chance on this planet that they go all the way to Houston and they slow down Deshaun Watson with the way that uh, they've been playing on defense. So what has to happen in order around Deshaun Watson in order for them to get back in the race? And I'm sure uh, that, of course, starts with a win against the Vikings here uh, Sunday. Well, I mean, the the biggest thing holding back the Texans uh, the past three weeks has been uh, offensive play calling and uh, kind of the remnants around it where we've got David Johnson doing inside runs in the second half of the Pittsburgh Steelers game and getting like one yard a pop. I think he wound up with like 23 yards in a, in a half. And just it was a disaster. It was It was giving away downs. It was malpractice when you watch Deshaun Watson run a two-minute drill and you know, it goes 75 yards, 50 seconds, and you come back after the half and you your offense just looks like it was designed in a parking lot for, <laughs> uh, you know, Pop Warner kids. It's frankly disgraceful that we have to talk about Deshaun Watson turning it around because Talon Rodham is fine. It's all about the coaching to me right now, and that's something that Bill O'Brien has said uh, – multiple times this this week that he has to do a better job scheming up the run game. So I think it'll probably be different from what we've seen so far. But, yeah, he's got a scheme with the run game. He can't do just inside zone all the time. Uh, actually, I have a question for you. Sure, yeah. This call I, when I was doing the, when I was doing the preview. So the Texans have not allowed a completed pass over 20 yards this year yet. The Vikings – in my research, uh, had the highest average target distance in the NFL right now. Uh-huh. How do you think that will work out? <laughs> uh, especially with the fact that it's a couple of deep wide receivers these days, um, I think it works out bad for the Vikings. I mean, that's what that's really been the last two weeks, kind of the Achilles heel, but if you can even call it that really the whole body is broken for the defense. They don't pressure the quarterback a whole heck of a lot, which gives plenty of time to go down the field for receivers. They can't cover those receivers. They have had boneheaded mistakes in terms of just communication and mental errors and all those things that have left people wide open every week. Now the first two weeks, the receiver dropped the 50- or 60-yard throw in the air, uh, but they could have allowed more deep plays than you're even talking about. And then last week, some guy named Raymond, a receiver for uh, the Titans, who sounds like a made-up player that you draft in Madden or something, 
Um, you know, when you go into the draft and you don't upload it from the college football game and then you just have to pick random names, well, that's Raymond, wide receiver. And he catches like a 60-yard pass against the Vikings and is wide open. So, I mean, when you have no-name guys who are getting wide open deep down the field, I mean, and especially a quarterback like Watson who's so capable of making those throws if you give him time, I mean, it, it just has everything sort of – pointing to this is going to be one of those games where we're talking about something similar to last week, 31-30, big plays, and I think the Vikings will probably control the ball a little bit better than they did in the first two weeks with Dalvin Cook. He's run um, you know, pretty well so far, but it just has this feeling, which means I'll be completely wrong, that it could actually be really entertaining for both of us. Yeah, uh, let me throw some respect on Khalif Raymond's name real quick. Um, whenever somebody catches a touchdown and, and they were like the punt returner, the kick returner, those ones hurt the most because you're like, we just got burned by the returner. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and look, I mean, I'll admit to not knowing every single player on every AFC South team. So every once in a while, you know, it will pop up where you're like, wait a minute, this is the guy who beat you? This is the guy who smoked you? I mean, Mo Alley Cox the week before. I was not very familiar with the stylings of Mo Alley Cox. I love his look and I love his name, but I didn't expect him to look like Ben Coates or Tony Gonzalez against the Vikings. And this, this is very unique for us, Rivers. It's very different to have this feeling of, of some rando comes in here and smokes your defense each week. I'm not used to this. Uh, Mo Alley Cox, Mo Alley Cox is ten foot three. I don't know <laughs> if you saw. Um, what was it? I, I think the, the account is, is Jetpack Galileo tweeted a picture of Mahali Cox uh, catching a touchdown, except he blew up Mahali Cox uh, to get even bigger on the screen, so he looks like a giant. <laughs> and, and that's what I took away from, from watching that game. That's great. I mean, this happens all the time where you have, like, uh, there was a guy named Eric Swoop who a few years ago uh, ended up having a big game against the Vikings. So, of course, fans remember it as the Eric Swoop game. And then, you know, but this year there's going to be one for every single uh, team. So it'll be a lot to remember. Uh, I want to I want to just I know we're kind of ping ponging back and forth. So let's let's stick with this and then we can talk a little bit about sort of the future for each of those two teams. So when it comes to Bill O'Brien, um do you feel trapped? I mean, because like people from the outside are looking at that situation and saying, in terms of head coach, general manager, uh, he's both, and you, it just feels like you couldn't be more stuck that with him than you are. Is that like an accurate depiction of Bill O'Brien in, in Houston? Yeah, that's that's kind of where it's at at this point. Um, you know, Bill O'Brien took over in 2014. And I think it's fair to say that he has systematically rooted anybody on the team that isn't uh, working directly for him. Mm -hmm. uh, kicked out Rick Smith. You know, the, de the defensive and offensive coordinators at this point uh, are complete newbies. Uh, never called plays before they got to these two jobs. <laughs> and, you know, the only people on staff that have experience are like Romeo Cornell and Carl Smith with other teams. So, yeah, it's, it's it's really, like, it's interesting because a lot of fans are really upset about Bill O'Brien. But with, without Bill O'Brien, you know, there's nobody here on football ops at all anymore. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you probably go, 
have a McNair ownership uh, search firm kind of hire somebody. I don't know if people are going to be happy with that either. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting to kind of balance those two things and, you know, just the visceral hatred of what you see in front of you versus that uncertain future. Yeah. And how does the DeAndre Hopkins trade play into this? Because clearly there's not a whole lot of justification for what they traded, what they got back. And I think PFF has Hopkins as their like number one receiver so far. And I'm sure that doesn't shock you. I mean, I think you would have looked at Houston before the outside eye, not following the day to day and said, well, you know, they're not perfect. But you can make a lot of sense of the Laramie Tunsil trade. He's really good at football, and they're going for it, and they have their great quarterback, and you can respect that and appreciate that. But once that trade was made, it almost sort of threw up a flag to everybody else. Like, yeah, this organization might not really know what it's doing. And recently with the Vikings, we can relate to this a little bit of not quite having a direction, making moves to win now, but then also making moves to rebuild for the future, trading away Stefan Diggs, but then signing Cousins to a contract extension, all those things sort of playing against each other. And I wonder if it, it feels that way with Houston too. You know, let me just recite uh, David Johnson's stat line for the last two games. Um, 24 attempts, 57 yards, one touchdown. Leroy Hart will be 39 receiving with that. yards. Leroy Hart would get more behind this offensive line. Yeah, no, he would. Now, that's right. But David Johnson got those last two games. Leroy Hart, if you, you know, if you need – Two yards, I'll get you three. If you need five yards, I'll get you three. That that quote from him, and that's kind of maybe David Johnson. He's just really into getting three yards. Maybe he can't run inside. Uh, somebody should tell Bill O'Brien to <laughs> run inside on eighty percent of the run plays so far. Yikes! <laughs> but, that but, is crazy. but yeah, the DeAndre Hopkins trade is is the DeAndre Hopkins trade is a sore wound for this franchise right now, and uh, it's something where I don't even talk about it that much on Twitter anymore mm-hmm. because the second I do. Everybody gets really upset about it. Everybody really is just like there's a lot of visceral reaction, and it's it's wild, you know. It's you have an offense, and the kind of reasoning they gave was, well, we've got speed now, and they've thrown. I think they've completed so far like four twenty-yard passes on the season <laughs> in three games, and you're just like, what are we doing here, guys? This is this is. We have made our team worse in every way. And, you know, just watching this on this year, getting to 0-3, uh, the, the the homers, the people who were just kind of like, you know, reciting the team line have gotten very quiet over the last <laughs> couple weeks. Oh, man, yeah. And uh, that has sort of happened here with the people who were pleased to see Stefan Diggs traded, that, you know, replacing those guys, as great as Justin Jefferson looked last week for the Vikings, trading receivers who are at the absolute top of the league and their game uh, are not easily replaced by, quote, speed guys, or let's bring in, uh, you know, Randall Cobb and put him in the slot. That's And I also think the idea, and maybe, I don't know if you agree with this, but like philosophically, I think having one or two amazing receivers is probably better than having a bunch of guys who are decent or do one thing well, because then if someone gets hurt, it's sort of the the house of cards falls apart, as opposed to one guy who can carry you with his excellence, like Stephon Diggs really did for the Vikings offense last year. Well, I mean, with the Texans also, you know, what they did was they got rid of their one guy 
who really effectively deals with with press coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, Randall Cobb, obviously older, uh, shifty, but, but but not really a guy who's going to be press. Uh, Brandon Cooks, very fast, can't be be press coverage at all. Uh, Will Fuller has some experience with it, of course, but but not really that kind of receiver either. So, I mean, Texans on third down now are, you know, kind of at a point where they're, where they're dropping back, waiting for somebody to win a man, and nobody's winning mm-hmm. on some of these downs. And that, that's been a problem for them. Um, I think it's very easy for, to, as, as a coach even, to kind of have that upper-level philosophy, oh, well, yeah, I would like everybody to get involved. And, of course, my, <laughs> my tight end will be wide open down the seam for a 40-yard game. But it doesn't play out that way that often, and you kind of need your stars. <laughs> right. I mean, that's what it kind of comes down to is uh, can you beat that guy? Like all these coaches think that they can scheme anything they want to scheme, and it's going to work and so forth, and they're all geniuses, and we're better off without them and so forth. But a lot of times these plays are drawn up for one person to beat another person. And if it's Stefan Diggs or DeAndre Hopkins versus another person, they'll probably win that battle. And so at least the Vikings, though, have a young receiver who has a lot of talent to look forward to. And this is sort of when you talk about trading franchises and rosters, the one argument that I would make, and I totally agree with your assessment, that it's really just about the quarterback and I can really just build anything else. But the anything else is having Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen changes the game there. Having a running back at least while expensive can play unlike uh, David Johnson so far in Dalvin Cook and a lot of top pieces on the defensive side. It seems to me like there's some years of Deshaun Watson's prime here that are being uh, left in the dust by the fact that the rest of the roster just doesn't have a ton of talent. Is that a fair assessment? I think the roster is more talented than the results they've put out so far on offense. Um, I think for me, it, this is a failure of coaching and, mm-hmm. and a fa- failure to understand how the game has changed in 2020 when you're running, you know, inside zone over and over and over again with David Johnson, not knowing that he's not a good inside runner mm-hmm. when you're, uh, when you're basically ignoring RPOs, when you have Deshaun Watson on your roster, a cheat code at quarterback who can make the running game very easy and you just refuse to use him at all. This, this to me on offense for the Texans is just, just a blatant failure of coaching. And uh, one thing I postulated today on, on my website is just, you know, is Bill O'Brien have too many roles now where he has to have direct primary input that he just can't, coach anymore you know but mm-hmm. you don't you don't have time to scheme up a new run game every week when you're you know combing the transaction wire when you're trying to bring in five five days, uh, to try to replace AJ Moore when you're uh, getting COVID stuff from the league and trying to read it like I don't know that he has yeah the ability to good head coach in the situation I, I could see that I mean asking I, I mean in the past there are very few head coaches who are also general managers. And there's a reason for that. Is Belichick the only other one in the NFL right now? I think he might be. And I know that that was a Mike Holmgren thing that got debated constantly back in the day about Holmgren being the GM and being the head coach. Uh, But those guys are pretty superior to Bill O'Brien, I think, in terms of 
how how he's uh, able to coach. Man, that is a that's a and that's exactly like why I would think that there is a case to pick the Vikings in this case. Maybe if you get the coach in front office too, then you pick the Vikings. But I also, in a way, I don't know what to do, Rivers. Maybe you can help me with this of how to evaluate. Um, the Vikings head coach and general manager in a year that's as weird as this. And maybe it's different from your perspective because Houston was supposed to be better and supposed to compete for the playoffs and so forth. And that hasn't happened, but I'm having a tough time with it, especially this week when the Vikings have to miss a practice before going down there because the Titans didn't want to tell people that one of their coaches got COVID or something like, I, I don't know how this works into your formula of evaluating everything. I think with the Vikings, you have to kind of take the 20,000-foot view here and be like, okay, what happened this season that Stefan Diggs demanded a trade Mm -hmm. and we had no way to make the offense work without him? They didn't get anybody to replace him. They got rookies. Rookies are great, but they aren't always ready right away. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of that deep passing game – you know, you obviously you're hoping that Jefferson's just instant hit right now, but but I mean, in all likelihood, he'll probably be inconsistent for a while. That's yeah. that's kind of what rookies do. So how much you how much uh, of a pass you're willing to give, I think, depends on how much you read that dig situation as inevitable, or was it that could have been solved? And this is something that comes up often with Hopkins thing too. Is you know because Hopkins wanted a new contract, he got a new contract in Arizona. But uh, how much of that new contract was on Bill O'Brien for not giving it? How much of it was on Hopkins for demanding it with three years left? And then you know, you're kind of just like trying to, to figure out the code here of, of where you want to land. And for me with, with Hopkins, uh, I think it's very real for him to demand a new contract as, you know, like the 10th highest paid receiver in the league. But other people disagree. Other people are very vehemently – you know, pro, pro coach, pro GM, pro uh, ownership, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a better question for you. How do you think the, the situation played out? And do you think it's, it was inevitable? Yeah. I, I mean, because of Diggs's, I think, ability to see the writing on the wall of where this was going to go and his reasonable frustration about a team being built around a running back in a running game, before being built around one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, I understood his frustration and why he wanted to go. And I I think that managing your top players is a skill. It's not just, well, you know, that guy's mad, so you got to get rid of him. And I think that sometimes we look at it that way. Well, you know, guy's just a diva. I got to move on from him. But you know what? I mean, these are really, really competitive people who are also – you know, celebrities and have a lot of money. And sometimes you have to deal with how they want to be treated, right? And I think that the teams who figure out ways to do that, and the Vikings have with making sure they pay people, but the teams who figure out how to deal with the personalities often succeed. And I hate to just use the Patriots as an example, because it's sort of boring and annoying to be like, the Patriots are great. See, they do this, this, and this. But 
like Cam Newton, they're willing to take him on, and they're not concerned that he's going to ruin their locker room or something. Stephon Gilmore, they just give him a raise. They just said, you know what, I don't know if we paid you enough last year, so here's some more money. Take that. Does that make you happy? Do you enjoy more money? And I'm sure he said, yes, I'm ready to play again because you gave me more money. And, and so with the Diggs point, not figuring out a way – to acquiesce to him in, in some ways to make sure that he was getting the ball more often, to make sure that he was putting up the numbers he wanted to put up. Um, it probably, there was some room to, to make some concessions and figure that out that they didn't want to take. It might work out for them because now he's not a great player on a bad team, which I think he would have been here at this point. So for them, it might be a little different because they could take more of the long view with that and say, okay, you got Jefferson, that's exciting, and and you go from there with that cap space. But I just – I think that how you deal with your top players is a really big deal in the NFL. Yeah, and I mean that's that's, that's something where – Personally, kind of why I landed on the Hopkins thing was you're Bill O'Brien. You are the only person that represents this organization on a football level in any real way. Mm-hmm. Like we can talk about Jack Easterby as like the G- the GM. Okay, that's nice. Jack Easterby has no power here. You're Bill O'Brien. Your guy wants a raise. It's your job to manage the egos in that locker room. Right. And that was a failure to manage the egos in that locker room. But you're over it, though, and so are Texans fans. Oh, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. There's no way that I watch Cardinals highlights every every week and sob. No, no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, Rivers, I have a couple of quick um, Texans questions for you, and then you can tell me who you think is going to win the game. Um, just random questions, but who is the best quarterback in Texans history not named Matt Schaub or Deshaun Watson? Is it Tony Banks? I mean, why is it Tony Banks? No, I mean it's 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 it's. I think it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. I really do. I have I have gained a lot of respect you know, over the past five years as just kind of the ultimate uh, you know mercenary. I'm going to get this job done. It's going to mm-hmm. look ugly, but we'll have you know a competitive team. And I, I think that's what Ryan Fitzpatrick is and what he embodies. I totally agree. He and Brian Hoyer are kind of like the same person a little bit, and both of them had their day where they at least gave you a competitive shot with decent teams there. And Fitzpatrick, I covered him at the very beginning of my career in Buffalo, and he is just as great as you think he is. Like he has a great sense of humor. He's got an incredibly good outlook. And what you don't expect from someone who went to Harvard is that he's hilarious and he relates so well to everyone around him. And I think that's one of the reasons that he's had such a long career is that he just is a relatable, funny guy who gets along with everybody. And if you have a 10 win team, he might be able to get you there a couple times. And and if you need him to help a young quarterback, he's going to do that too. Uh, what's the greatest moment in Houston Texans history? Well, I mean, I think the easy the easy answer for most people would be that uh, 2011 number one playoff win, Bengals, um, particularly the TJ Yates throw to Andre Johnson, which kind of Andre Johnson has been on the roster for so many years, been uh, put upon by bad quarterback play and, and held back by bad defenses. And it was just so amazing to watch him catch that ball uh, mm-hmm. great. And even though the Texans that year should have competed for a Super Bowl with a healthy shog, uh, and that kind of got derailed, it was still really to see Andre Johnson 
in that moment in that spotlight get the kind of limelight he deserved. All right, last one, because um, Coobs was talking about that one today, and uh, so that that was his kind of shining moment there as well. Last question I had. But, but, but remember, he talked he talked about that JJ Watt pick six. He did not talk about Hunter Johnson. That's Hunter right. Johnson was the Texans. And that was my last question is because my, you know, friend Sage Rosenfels obsesses over Andre Johnson. I mean, he just looks at him as the like quintessential star wide receiver from his personality, how he handled himself to the stats he put up and his dominance as well. And Sage, when he was playing, his main thing was throw it to Andre Johnson every time. And that's pretty much Texas history. But he is a guy that kind of goes under the radar from that era of great wide receivers. So will he be a Hall of Famer, Andre Johnson? I mean, if you're asking me if he should be a Hall of Famer, the answer is yes. If you're asking me if he will be, I have no idea how he's going to be perceived. Um, Do you think he's overlooked? I think that, you know, he kind of fits conveniently under, like, Marvin Harrison in those years, Reggie Wayne in some Mm -hmm. of those years, uh, Randy Moss, contemporary, Calvin Johnson was a contemporary who I think was I, – I think I would say Calvin Johnson was objectively better in his best years than Andre Johnson. Yeah. Like, if you were building a team in the mid-2000s, like, the answer was to me was always Andre Johnson. He could do it all. He made it effortless. And he had the uh, mental skill set to back up those physical traits that yep. is lacking in some receivers. Uh, I think he definitely belongs in the Hall of Fame. I mean, five 100-catch seasons is something that not too many people have ever done. And the fact that there weren't other great wide receivers right there, I'm curious. I'm going to look right now. I always like to poke around. I don't know if you ever use this, the Hall of Fame monitor on uh, Pro Football Reference, which, you know, is not perfect, but it kind of gives you a, a snapshot of what kind of chances a guy has. And his... Uh, kind of looks to me like he should absolutely be a Hall of Famer. He's 19th among all wide receivers ever on the Hall of Fame monitor, and the comparable receivers to Andre Johnson are Michael Irvin, Julio Jones, Art Monk, Antonio Brown. Um, He's ahead of Andre Reid. He's ahead of Calvin Johnson. I think that he should have a great chance at it. He's right in the ballpark of Isaac Bruce. It's just, can he get the kind of momentum behind it of people remembering how great the guy was? So we'll see. He deserves it. You kind of have to remember with him also, like all those guys had their, their number two at the Tory mm-hmm. Holtz. Yep. They had, uh, in, Alvin in case he had Marvin Harrison, Alvin Harper. Yeah. Uh, the Texans, like, as far as I can tell, the number two receiver you point to is Kevin Walter here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to throw any shade on Kevin Walter, fine receiver, not really the number two you want on your team. Owen Daniels was good when he was healthy. He's a tight end. Like, like there was nobody for, for Andre Johnson on that team uh, playing with Matt Schaub and getting kind of like that early, the early version of the Kyle Shanahan offense in 09 and, and 2010. Like, nobody else on that team that, that scared you. Who do you think will win this National Football League contest on Sunday? Are we having that contest? Are we sure? <laughs> no, I am not sure because the, everybody could show up in, in Minnesota tomorrow and we could have 15 positive tests and we shut it all down. But let's pretend in imagination, imagination land it's happening. I'm really torn on this game. I actually am. Um, the, the Texans' biggest problem right now is their run defense. Dalvin Cook ate the Titans alive last week. I think that 
the Vikings are going to come out, try to establish time possession, that sort of thing. That's a normal game for them. The question for me is how successful the Texans are going to be at honoring that on their own offensive end. Because at this point, I've almost abandoned hope of them getting becoming a good run, a good run defense again. Maybe it'll happen. I kind of doubt it, but maybe it'll happen. Um, and, and making David Johnson work. Um, I'm going back and forth on this. I still haven't landed on where I want to pick yet. Hmm. I think I'm going to pick the Texans to win, but it's not going to be – it's going to be a close game. I think I am too. And at, at this point, uh, the Vikings have sort of changed their messaging from, oh, we're going to be good this year and competitive, or at least that's how they were sounding, too. We're looking for signs of improvement. And I also think if we get in a close game and the quarterbacks are Deshaun Watson and Kirk Cousins, I'm going to take Deshaun Watson every single time. So, And I think that that's exactly how this one will go, that Houston will hit big plays, the Vikings will hold on to the ball for longer, and they'll you know get – a lot of out of Delvin Cook, and even Gary Kubiak hinted at some different things for Delvin Cook this week. But uh, at the end, if it's a final drive and it's 36 to 32 or something and Deshaun Watson needs to go win, he'll probably do it. So uh, that's the way I'm going to lean as well. But either way, this is, a, you know, it's kind of a, a fun tone to this podcast because, like, your team is kind of a mess and my team is kind of a mess. And it's like, where do, what do we do here, Rivers? <laughs> Well, we talk about Tony Banks and David, obviously. That's what we do. That's the, the answer is always to talk about journeyman quarterbacks. That's what it always is. Well, uh, riversmccown.com is the website, and eventually I will push you enough to make that a substack like I have, um, and we'll get you there at some point. You do awesome work. A must-follow on Twitter, especially this week if people want the uh, – Texans perspective of things and you know what man even though we don't bump into each other too often with the Texans and the Vikings we should do this again soon I hope we do absolutely yeah I have a great time on this podcast Matthew um preview for this game for me I write a big detailed stats preview every week coming up on Friday so check that out I want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen this stuff yet, you've got to check it out. One of my favorite designs is of the Metrodome. I have a t-shirt of this one myself, and it's perfect for those of you who grew up going to the Metrodome. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. And we're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTIC, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesesteak Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are also still open 
open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food will be on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of more than $15 when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Oh, Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. I want high boom, And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. All right, we haven't done it in a while, but it's time to do some hot routes. And this is a little bit different than our five questions after games with intern Paul because it's midweek and we are preparing for the Vikings to play against the Houston Texans. Paul has questions. I have answers. What is up, Paul? Not much, Matt. Um, excited to talk some Vikings. Just hopefully no more tests pop up in the next day or two. Obviously, it takes a little bit to get maybe all the tests that could come in accurately. So just crossing my fingers for Sunday and hoping they're not canceled and this doesn't become a thing throughout the league for a while. Yeah, and we also don't want this podcast to be old the minute it goes out because if they test positive tomorrow and they have to mm-hmm. reschedule the game, that will be bad. So the Vikings did practice as we record this on Thursday and should be good to go and may have dodged a pretty serious bullet here with – the Tennessee Titans having some problems. And just along those lines, Vikings should be ticked, I think, not just because they lost to the Titans and they had the tests after, but it sounds like this might have been a little more preventable had the Titans been straightforward. I just wonder what would have happened if the Titans had told everyone, hey, we actually have had some COVID in our building this week. Do you still want to play NFL? And then, or, or wait another day to see how the tests come back. Because if they waited one more day, they would have gotten all those positive tests back and known that they shouldn't have played that game. But also, I guess, a test case in some ways for what happens when you play against a team that has some COVID issues. Can you get out of there without having it spread to the other team? And at least for so far, the answer is yes. Uh, And Eric Sugarman explained that your contact with the other people, because it's only eight seconds at a time for – different plays is actually not that much. It's considered sort of low-risk contact. So there's that. Uh, why don't you get into whatever you have to get into here with, with five questions because we could just – the COVID thing, you just end up down a rabbit hole and then you get into, but what if we can't play the Super Bowl and everything's going to fall apart here? And I hope that doesn't happen. So what do you got? No, no no COVID questions. Those used to be a staple of the off-season questions. It's true. They will, not, they will not be here weekly, or at least for this one. So I guess my first one is they're 0-3, and obviously we know Zimmer doesn't like to lose in the preseason even, so 0-3 isn't how he wanted to start. So how have how has he handled the losing? How has the building handled the losing? Is it hostile in there? Is it relaxed, the Aaron Rodgers message? Like wh- where, where are they in that, in that spectrum? Yeah, it's definitely not relax um, because that would imply that they will get it turned around. I think when Rodgers said that, 
he was figuring on a playoff run, and they eventually did go on a playoff run. And if you're the Houston Texans at 0-3, maybe that's what you're saying is, hey, we played Kansas City, Baltimore, and then Pittsburgh on the road. We'll get this thing turned around once we beat the Vikings and so forth. But if you're the Vikings, reality has to have set in that this is what you're going to be dealing with this year. And the message out of the building for this week is totally different than it was last week. Last week, it felt like we've got to get this turned around. We've got to get these problems solved. We can't make these mistakes. And uh, like an urgency to have to beat the Titans to turn our season around. And once Steven Goskowski went, I don't know, like full Morton Anderson on that thing or Adam Vinatieri or whatever. I mean, he was the greatest kicker of all time for Sunday after missing three in his first game. But, of course, against the Vikings, that doesn't happen. So after he went off and made six field goals and you lose that game and you fall apart at the end, I think that it's sort of settled in with a lot of people, okay, this season does not have Super Bowl written all over it. This does not have the urgency of previous years. This is going to be about progress. It's going to be about improvement. It's going to be about setting yourself up for the following season or if you make enough progress and see enough improvement over the weeks, getting yourself at least into the race and feeling like it was a solid season. I think that's the reality that set in throughout this week is you just have to make everyone better for the future. And that's part of your goal because Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer did sign contract extensions. And I would also imagine that to some extent, the Wilfs have got to look at this and say, this, we, we don't get our home field advantage for this season. We're now losing a practice to COVID. Like, we have rookie corners. Like, this is, this is a lot to overcome and to expect them to do, win a division title with all those things working at once was probably too much from the beginning. The other way to look at it might still be, hey, a lot of people pick this team to win the division, and <clears throat> the Bears are 3-0, and so maybe it shouldn't be as bad as it is. But I, I, I think, or it just felt like from what Andre Patterson said, from what Mike Zimmer said, that they're looking at it through a little more realistic lenses now than they were the first couple of weeks. Yeah, I guess it'll just be interesting to monitor it going forward because if they continue to lose and we continue to say, well, 2021 is the year they're kind of built to, to do better, they I feel like they just need some positive momentum. Like Zimmer can't be super hostile. Like it just – like they they kind of – they would want an ideal scenario where it would be like the Falcons last year where they're going – six and two to finish obviously they wouldn't hope for the start that the Falcons had this year but I think if we continue to get to the point where like playoffs are mathematically out of the question and so Zimmer can't even like continue to like try to get to that point even if it seems unrealistic how just the mentality of the locker room shifts because he's been here a long time and you just know what what that means when a guy's been in the building for so long and the message can just start to wear on people so if losing does anything to that I'd be interested because if they're winning it won't matter but it's just how that how that all balances out, and I, obviously the players have a ton of respect for Zimmer, so I don't think he'd lose the locker room or anything like Matt Patricia might. But I'd just be interested to see kind of what the what the general vibe is of the team if they go 0 and 4, they go 0 and 5, 0 and 6, because I mean the coaching staff's only gonna have so much patience, and the player and the fan base is only gonna have so much patience, and there's just not 
much of a way out of it at this point. And these things can change quickly. This week, it seems much more of a everything's going wrong for us, and we're going to have to just try to make progress and see if it bounces the right way for us to get back in the race eventually. But if you do get back in the race, if you do win a couple of games, and then it still falls apart toward the end, we could be talking about some very tense moments as we go forward. And Kirk Cousins already seems to be locking everybody out, I guess, when it comes to asking him questions, asking him for explanations for what happened. He's tweeting out apologies now. Yeah, that was uh, very strange with Kirk Cousins and his tweet that was just like really generic, but kind of weird to even send it out. Mm -hmm. I never quite know what to make of his tweets because he – it's like everything with Cousins has always been a reaction to the reaction. So, you know, in 2018, he decides to kind of aggressively explain what happened at times, saying, you tell me uh, when he was asked about certain plays. And he would say, well, you know, if we made this block or I was there or whatever. And then 2019, he was taking too much responsibility for stuff that wasn't even his fault. And then uh, this year, he seems to be taking the approach of not saying anything at all. And I just wonder how long he can keep that up because it doesn't really speak to his personality. He's more of a talker. He more of wants to explain what happened and not just talk in really generic platitudes. Uh, and so does he eventually get sort of frustrated? Does the media get frustrated and turn up the heat with the questions? I don't know. Like who, who knows how this thing, you know, ends up playing out. I, it, it's very difficult to play it cool through 16 weeks of things going wrong and being questioned and, you know, getting frustrated and things like that. So the tension level right now I don't think is particularly high in a way. Um, if it was going to be this week, the whole COVID thing with the Titans sort of took the edge off of that because that was everybody's focus. But if you yeah, if you get to 0-6 or something, yeah, there's, there's going to be some frustration there. And we'll – I agree, monitor and keep an eye – on what happens there and you know the same thing goes for if you get a winning streak and then fall apart again so it with Zimmer there has been a lot of tension through the years and there's been a lot of drama through the years sometimes cause sometimes not and I just think that it's a feature of the Minnesota Vikings under Zimmer is that there's a lot of stuff kind of just happening at once and people you know um, say things in the media that upset other people and just, you know, this has all happened throughout the years. So I will definitely be keeping an eye on that. Yeah. Let's, let's, I think we're just hoping that Kirk Cousins doesn't turn into Stefan Diggs on Twitter. That's if, if <laughs> Cousins start doing that, yeah. then we're really in a, yeah. we're really in a bad spot. So let's hope that doesn't happen. All right. We'll move on to the next hot route. Um, at what point should we be alarmed that we haven't seen Ezra Cleveland at all, or he was just active last week and, Drew, I mean, we're seeing what's happening to Drew Samia. Pat Elfline's hurt. Dakota Dozier hasn't been great in that left guard spot either. The tackles obviously have been have played relatively well, so it wouldn't come at one of those spots unless there was an injury. But are we at any point, are we alarmed at this point, or at when would we start to kind of be like, okay, where is this guy? Because, I mean, it seems like the Vikings need an answer there, and they're, it's not what they currently have, so why not? I will say that if we do not see Ezra Cleveland get a start, especially at the end of the year, if they're out of it, then you should be alarmed. So let's just say that they beat the Texans this week. 
they lose to Seattle, they beat Atlanta, and we kind of just ping-pong back and forth from here on out. And they just, even if they have a 500 record from here on out, they're still a bad team, right, the rest of the way. Let's say that they do that, and you get toward the end of the year, and there's two or three games left. You're not really in the race. You, maybe you would need a miracle to end up getting even just in consideration for the playoffs with three or four games left, and you're still starting Dakota Dozier. Then you should be concerned because there would be no reason whatsoever to continue to start Dakota Dozier. He's not a starting NFL left guard. He's been plowed over for these first couple of weeks. I mean, this interior offensive line is far worse than it was last year, far worse. And uh, if you're not able to put in Ezra Cleveland at that point because you think he's going to get completely demolished, then, wow, I mean, how can you feel excited for the future? I wouldn't even be surprised right now, and this might make some people rip their hair out, but if they extended Riley Reef in the offseason, assuming that they don't draft a tackle with their first-round pick, which could happen, uh, the guy from Oregon is you know, supposed to be a generational tackle prospect, and so if everyone else at the top takes quarterbacks and you are right behind them at fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, wherever, you could land him – then you start him right away and move on from Reef. But if Cleveland isn't anywhere in that ballpark of being ready to play it all toward the end of this year, that's probably not a great signal. And just, just like with Drew Samia, where the fact that he wasn't even competing for a spot in training camp with Pat Elfline, if you can't even compete with a guy who was one of the lower tier of offensive linemen last year in the league, it's a problem. And usually they don't mess these things up once they're – in the building and once they're practicing the front office in the off season, it's always much harder. But once the coaching staff gets them out there, this team doesn't usually like totally whiff on a guy and not play someone who's better um, than, than whoever is starting. So yeah, I, I think uh, it's not something to panic about yet, but look down the road here and I think we'll have a sense for it this season. So is it safe to assume like if Drew Samia continues to do what he's doing, which I don't see any reason why it wouldn't continue, and same with Dakota Dozier, we'd see Brett Jones and Aviant Collins before Ezra at, the, at this point. Because if we already know Dakota Dozier is not an NFL guard, which you just said, like, like uh, why wouldn't they try something else? And is it really just it wouldn't be Ezra because he's really not ready? Or do you see a scenario where they're losing and they're like, okay, what the hell, let's, let's put him in? Yeah, I don't think that you can put in um, Ezra Cleveland at right guard. I think you could put him in at left guard where you had him at training camp and all through practice and all that. And that's where he played on the left side in college. I don't think you can ask him to switch to the opposite side of the line because you're just going to get your face beat in at that point. That's, that's hard for a veteran to do. Uh, that's even you know much, much harder for a rookie who's never even played the guard position. So it's going to be left guard or it's going to be nothing, it seems, uh, because if Reef goes down to tackle, that'll be Rashad Hill is his backup. And then Ole Udo seems to be his backup. And so I, I and the other thing is, I, I would also add this, like I get tweets about Ole Udo and it's nice that he played well in week 17, but why he's not playing guard. He's not a guard. Ole Udo is a tackle. He is gargantuan. He's like the exact opposite of what they want for a guard. It's possible, I guess, that they could try it, but he's never played guard at all. So the idea of why don't you just play Udo at guard? It's like, you can't just do that. Uh, but I think that they 
should play Brett Jones as their starting right guard uh, going forward until Pat Elfline comes back because it is simply not a safe situation for Kirk Cousins if you listen to the uh, breakdown with Jeremiah Searles at all. So definitely going to keep an eye on the Ezra Cleveland situation, though, because if if he doesn't get in at all, I don't know how you could say, oh, yeah, well, you know, you're going to be good at left guard because he'll just pop in there. Like, mm, that, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think you can have confidence in that. And quickly before we hit the next heart out, I just want to ask about another rookie who was inactive on Sunday after, not, after being active the first two weeks. That's K.J. Osborne. Uh, I, I heard Marwin Maloof talk about it. He just was like, that was coach's decision. That's why Amir was out there. But are, are we alarmed at all at this point? That I mean, I know he's a fifth-round pick, but he came in here to have that spot. He's kind of taking up a spot to just do that. So are, are we worried about him at this point? I mean, I really wouldn't worry about K.J. Osborne in general because he's a fifth-round pick, and if you get anything out of a fifth-round pick, then great. Um, What I look at that as is last week they believed that they could beat the Tennessee Titans and get on a roll and get going, and I don't blame them for that. They came within one point of that. They had the ball. They had a 12-point lead in the third quarter. You should think that you can beat teams at home and make a run of it where they were last year, or I'm sorry, last week. But where they are now is a very different place. The difference between 0-1 and 0-2 is pretty big. The difference between 0-2 and 0-3 and and is really big. I mean, if you had any chance for the playoffs, 0-3, you are now way the hell behind Green Bay and way the hell behind Chicago. Trying to catch up is going to be really tough. You'd have to get extremely hot. So you, if you're shifting your mindset a little toward – hey, if we win some games, and I'm talking about from them, I understand all the tank for Trevor people want them to shift their mindset in the the way to play Jake Browning or Nate Stanley, but that's not going to happen. So now you have to say, look, Amir Abdullah seems like a great guy, but there's no reason to play Amir Abdullah over a rookie who might be good at this. And I'm also sort of curious of, like, what did he do? Like, what? I don't – he didn't, like, fumble. Did he – run the wrong way or like what what did he do what did this young kick slash punt returner do that was so bad he got benched for the previous week I don't know but I think he should just play and if he's bad at this then you'll know he's bad at it and if he gets it together and is good the rest of the way then fine but there's no reason now there's no reason not to play everyone who might have some potential for the future yeah and I think just I don't I don't have the stats right now in front of me but Amir Abdullah, I think, a couple of times took it out of the end zone last week and wasn't didn't get to the 25. I don't remember K.J. Osborne having done that at all, like t- an ill-advised taking it out of the end zone either. So there's not even like that we can look back on. So, yeah, that was just weird. I was just curious on why he was inactive. But, yeah, moving on to our next hot route. Through three games, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson have the same amount of catches. They have 12 catches. So I think we kind of have an idea of who will end up with more, but – is it out of the realm of possibility that Justin Jefferson leads this team in catches? Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. 
Maybe at some point they'll get some Vikings fans in the stadium to see where this team can go with their young pieces, but it doesn't appear that's going to happen anytime soon, so you'll watch it from your couch, and Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm going to say no, it is not without uh, out of the realm of possibility. And the reason for me is because you can use Justin Jefferson on short throws really effectively, and we saw that. I mean, he was running little short outs and getting wide open, and if he can do that like Stefan Diggs did, you could end up with him having a 100-catch season because you're going to go to him, even if it's not 70-yard receptions, which you can't count on each week, but you're going to go to him with those short throws. You're going to go to him with finding ways to get screens involved, quick slants. Uh, there was a hitch that he ran and then took it 20 yards after the catch last week. Those things can be repeated week after week. Uh, Thielen, I'd like to see them use some more underneath stuff as well because he gets open on quick slants and hitches and, and different things like that. But it seems like they want to go down the field with Thielen quite often. And if that's the case and Thielen has become your sort of downfield receiver and Jefferson is more of an underneath guy except for the occasional deep route, um, which he hit two of them you know, last week impressively, then, yeah, I could see Jefferson doing that just because he's more effective and, and he's just a lot quicker than Thielen. Thielen can get open for everything because of his route uh, detail. But if you want to throw a two-yard pass and hope someone's going to turn it into 30, you're going to Justin Jefferson now. And I, yeah, would not be super shocked. I mean, right now, Jefferson, and this is very small sample, but is a top five graded PFF wide receiver. And last week, the fact that he lined up all over the field, the fact that he got open on all sorts of different routes and not just like one route that they were using him on, I thought was very, very impressive. And I would not be surprised if he took off. I also wouldn't be super stunned knowing how it goes for rookies if that was a blip on the radar and it's a lot harder for him going forward with teams game planning him. You don't know where it's going to go. You've only seen the potential that he has. Yeah, I was I was going to add on there right at the end, just ask you, what's more likely, two catches for 12 yards on Sunday or like six catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown? I say as a big day. I'm, I'm going to go the, the six catches because I think that he's in a spot where he can just ascend from here. And I also think that Houston's defense is a thumbs down. It is bad. It's very bad. And the Vikings have a good chance to put up a, a lot of offense and a lot of passing yards this week that, you know, I think Justin Jefferson is now the clear-cut number two, and he's going to get number two targets, if not number one type targets, if teams try to take away Thielen in the future here. I'm, I was looking through your um, mailbag responses just for looking for inspiration for questions on this. And one of the, a couple times the trade deadline was already brought up and whether Vikings players could be on the move, what's going to happen there. So I guess 
I'm not not so much as do we expect them to trade at the deadline because it's still far away. We don't really know at this point. But who would you be most surprised and least surprised for them to move off of at some point this season? Hmm. That is a very good question, Paul. I'm going to say I would be least surprised if they traded Anthony Harris because it just makes sense. Paying Anthony Harris around the ballpark of where he's getting paid now next year is not something you really want to do. Um, Anthony Harris is a very good player, but I, I think that you see Harrison Smith is much more the driver when it comes to the defensive success and much more repeatable. I mean, even in a year where everyone else is playing like bad, uh, Harrison Smith is still making plays like he did last week uh, against Ryan Tannehill with that interception. And again, I just want to say Anthony Harris is a great story. He's a good player. He can help a lot of teams, but you might need a good defense for Anthony Harris's impact to be felt the most. And again, if you're not going to sign him, he's not in your long-term plans, he can get you maybe a third or fourth round pick that's going to be helpful. What they can't do is try to hold out for a second round pick like they did this offseason and then say, huh, guess no one was willing to pay that. Weird, right? So that would be a not surprise. I think I would be surprised a little bit at Kyle Rudolph because I don't think he wants to go anywhere. I think he'd probably prefer to stay. The guy, I'll give you a dark horse that would be pretty stunning, but would be kind of interesting, is Yannick Ngakwe. If someone was desperate and was willing to trade you a first-round pick because they believed they were going to make the Super Bowl for Yannick Ngakwe, then you could basically just upgrade from a second to a first-round pick. I am not predicting this. I am saying this is a long shot but possible because they're going to owe Yannick Ngakwe a lot of money if they decide to keep him around, whether it's in a franchise tag or whether it's in signing him to a long-term contract. I think that it's a good idea to sign him to a, a, a contract long-term, play him and Daniel Hunter in 2021, and be happy with your good pass rush. We've seen that he can be a game-changer with the strip sacks. At the same time, if Mike Zimmer is not pleased with the way he plays the run, which is generally not great or at all, and, and wants an upgrade there, maybe in the draft or something, I mean, it all depends. It's There's a math formula of, is the guy worth – that much money and with him right now what he's getting paid very tradable so that's my dark horse and I I think uh, they would be making a mistake not to trade Anthony Harris to a team that's contending if if this continues to go bad I always want to put that sort of like asterisk with everything because it is the Vikings and it would be such a Vikingsy thing to win this one shock Seattle where they never win because Seattle has no defense. And then all of a sudden we're like, are they back? You know? So you never, you never do know, but those would be uh, my two candidates. Yeah. I, those, the three that you mentioned, Rudolph, Harrison and Gakwe seem like the only ones that are, that would really be in a position to, unless you're going to go like off the board, someone's just hoping to find some depth and they're, they're finding it on your roster somehow that the Vikings aren't using that depth already. But yeah, I'm interested in the Rudolph one. If he doesn't want to leave, that'd be a big a big point. I, I mean, obviously, he's kind of beloved in the community here, but I, I don't know. It seems like offensive players get moved a lot at the deadline, mm -hmm. someone looking for a, a target that they can have, and Rudolph going to con a contender would, would make some sense for a team that, that doesn't have a tight end. And if you if Irv Smith can get going a little bit um, in these next couple weeks, maybe you feel better about that. He's Irv Smith's a really good blocker, probably, I think, by PFF much better than Kyle Rudolph at blocking. So you have that, like, you don't have to worry about losing that maybe. And so 
yeah, I guess if he wants to be here, that's one thing, but maybe they see an opportunity to move off him, clear a little bit of cap space because they feel like they have that target. Because I thought they were going to use two tight ends a lot more than they have, but right now they're they're really not. So if they feel like they can get by with one, they feel like Justin Jefferson has kind of taken off, they maybe don't need those two tight ends. That's that's the only maybe scenario where I'd see Rudolph being. Left. And maybe you want to find out if Irv Smith can be tight end number one just for the future. He's off to a slow start. I did the film piece about it. I don't think it's his fault. I think he's still good and will get a lot of catches this year. But at the same time, you're not sure whether he could play that Rudolph role and what Gary Kubiak wants in the offense. So you could find it out by moving Kyle Rudolph. And I said, you know, maybe he doesn't want to leave the community, but he could also look at it like, look, I'm the oldest player on the team outside of the punter and I'm not getting any younger so if the Patriots want me to play with Cam Newton and go into the playoffs, then maybe I want to go there and try to win a Super Bowl with Bill Belichick and take another shot at it. And if I've got that opportunity, I'm going to go. So um, there's, yeah, there's a, a, only a couple players that are really at, pl- at play here. Uh, Riley Reef would be another one whose contract uh, anyone can get out of next year. So that's another one that could be a possibility as well if they were comfortable playing Rashad Hill there, which I think that they are. Um, and I'm going to have a story on this eventually soon about Rashad Hill and the progress he's made as kind of a guy that no one's paying attention to, but might be worth paying a little attention to, especially with Ezra Cleveland now being a guard. So, all right, right. let's, uh, let's do this as the last question. The last hot route. Okay. Um, let's just end with a little bit of optimism here. Um, I just want you to finish this statement. It's not a question. It's just the Vikings win Sunday. If what? What what happens if the Vikings win? I am going to say that they will win if two things. If they can get Deshaun Watson to turn the ball over more than once, because I don't think they're going to stop him much, but if they can intercept him, strip sack him, whatever. And they will win if Justin Jefferson goes over 100 yards. If he goes over 100 yards, that means you're passing successfully against a defense that's not that good against the pass, and you're rolling, and then you you win. If Jefferson steps up again, then you've got a a good chance. But, you know, I think with this defense, it's basically like if you don't pick off passes or get strip sacks and cause turnovers, you're just not going to win. They have to be that kind of defense. I thought you were going to say, what's it going to take for them to get on the run that I described earlier? And that, I don't know. The only thing that's, the thing that it's going to take is like Vikings madness. That's what it's going to take is, a bunch of lucky breaks that never happened to this team except for once a decade and all of a sudden they sort of come together. But based on Steven Guskowski making six field goals, which I had uh, our friend Eric Eager run the math on that, and he came up with um, a 28% chance of Steven Guskowski making those six field goals. So that's, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. But yeah, I, I, I don't know about you. What do you think that uh, – what would you give for a percentage for their chance to win? I, I think it's kind of a coin flip for this game. I mean, both teams are 0-3. Both teams are – I mean, it's cliche, but really want to win. Like, whoever loses, like, their season's, their season's done pretty much. If someone wins, they're going to talk themselves in. If the Houston's going to – if Houston wins, it's we lost to three really good teams. Like, we finally played a team that is kind of on our level, like, that we are supposed to beat and we beat them. And then the Vikings can kind of say the same thing. Green Bay, 3-0. and The Colts, 2-1. and Like, yep. Tennessee, 3-0. and Like, they're not playing horrible teams. And I know each one of those teams contributed to that winning total. So it's not like 
it's not like the Colts have played any great teams yet, but still, I think any team that, like, if they win, they're going to feel good about potentially being able to do something. I would just say they just need to get healthy. If they can get healthy in some spots, like there's cornerbacks just popping up every single day on the injury report. Vikings need, like, a full week of practice. Like, you're going to have injuries, a full week of practice. Like, it's just really not – things aren't going your way. So a win could kind of kick that off. You know, they don't have a full week. They're missing all these guys. If they win that game, then they're feeling, okay, well, we just kind of – we kind of beat the odds. We went into Houston with all this happening. Right. We won. It galvanizes the squad. Yeah. Yeah. Galvanizes the squad. And then, yeah, the the Seattle game doesn't look good, but – if they win that, I don't know how you don't at least have some optimism moving forward because that's the brute of their schedule. They've got the Jags. They've got Carolina. They have the Lions coming up, all those winnable games. As much as Bears fans want to maybe think Foles is going to take them somewhere, that's still a winnable game. Definitely. Oh, so, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, it needs that key is that Seattle game. Like that could kind of turn them around. But I think to get to that Seattle game, to a point where you feel like they could win, they got to win this week. So. Right. If you're 0-4, there's no turning around. You're no. just done. Like, the season is over. If you are 1-3 and and then suddenly 2-3, and then you're in the mix with a lot of teams. But if you are 0-4, good night. You should start playing Ezra Cleveland. So, uh, Inter Paul, great stuff. Always appreciate you jumping on a midweek appearance. that hasn't happened in a while, but uh, you will be back after the game against the Texans with five more questions to ask, and uh, we will catch you all then on Purple Insider.